Today we continue our journey of Advent. We are using the lectionary, the scriptures that over a billion Christians here around the world on this date. Last week we heard this curious scripture, not about the birth of a baby named Jesus, but instead the second coming of Jesus. The first thing we do at the start of Advent, and what is the start of the whole Christian year, is remind ourselves that Jesus doesn't just come one time, Jesus returns. And our lives change because of this reality. One day the world will be made right and made new, and I, for one, want to be a part of it. I want to be ready for that day. We also saw how it's not a secret day. It will be obvious when Christ returns, but the exact date it happens, no one knows. So just like we have to get ready for Christmas, let's get ready for Christ in the second coming. Today we jump to a new topic, the peace of God, and our scripture for the day takes us to another unlikely place, John the Baptist and his call to the Jewish people to repentance. We also hear this beautiful description of the peaceful kingdom from the prophet Isaiah. Here now, God's word from the Gospel of Matthew. Kathy Ann is going to read for us from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. I invite you now to hear God's word. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judah, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is one This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths right. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all of Judah were going out to him, and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, and he will gather his wheat into the garnacy, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable And from Isaiah chapter 11, 1 through 10, a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on them, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with Righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid, the calf and the lion, and the fatling together 
and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. The word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me in our prayer of preparation. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. There's a fable by Edwin Friedman that goes something like this. There once was a friendly forest where a lamb lived who loved to graze and frolic about. One day a tiger came to the forest and asked if he could move in. Everyone was delighted. We don't have tigers here. Sure, they said, you can move in. The lamb, though, was nervous about this, but everyone else said, it's, it'll be fine, don't worry about the tiger, we'll talk to him so he knows everyone must be allowed to live here. So the tiger moved in and the lamb went about his life. It wasn't long, though, before the tiger started to growl and make threatening gestures and menacing motions. The lamb was scared and told her friends how uncomfortable she was, but they all told her, don't worry, that's just how tigers behave. She tried her best to live her life, hoping the tiger would find someone else to growl at. The growls didn't happen all the time, but just when she thought maybe he was over it, the tiger would snarl and make her jump. She actually found herself looking for the tiger, but somehow he always managed to give her a frightful surprise. Finally, the lamb couldn't take it any longer and said, I'm leaving the forest. She loved this forest and her friends, but the fear of the tiger was too much. This is silly, they said. Nothing has even happened to you. You're still in one piece. Don't leave. Two animals said, we can work this out. Just sit down and let's talk together. The lamb was worried, though. What could they say that would change the nature of the tiger? What if they asked her to compromise with the tiger growling less and what? the lamb more tolerant of his growling? It didn't seem right to her that it would be equal if the invasive one agrees to be less invasive and the invaded one agrees to tolerate some invasiveness. They assured her everyone just needed to keep communicating. Don't be so sheepish, they told her. Speak up strongly when he does these things. There was one animal, though, who was unconcerned what others thought and said, I've never heard of anything so ridiculous. If you want a lamb and a tiger to live in the same forest, you don't try to make them communicate. You cage the bloody tiger. So ends Friedman's fable, and it brings up a question, one I think all of us wonder, that is, how do we find peace? The Isaiah passage presents this beautiful image of the peaceful kingdom where people and animals that seem quite naturally at war are getting along. Yet we know the nature of a tiger, which makes us think war must be inevitable. Scripture paints an idyllic picture, but 
how do we ever get there? How do tigers and sheep ever come to be at peace with one another? Seems like either tigers must be caged or the sheep have to compromise. How do we find real peace? Freeman's fable points out something else, and it's something that often happens in the U.S. We call it victim blaming. We wonder sometimes out loud what a person has done to deserve the problems, the dysfunction they have in their lives. We might ignore genetics or how the parents treated them. We don't think about our society or the family system they are in. We just think, did they invite this problem in? Did they do it to themselves? We might even say they are the ones who need to change when they experience suffering at the hands of others. John the Baptist tells people, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And we think, yeah, repent. If something is wrong in your life, it's your fault. Repent. If you turn from your evil, that's when God will step in and help you. Some theologians have taken all the parts of the Bible that talk about sin and come to the conclusion that people are utterly worthless sinners. John Calvin has said, We are worse than worms, flies, lice, and vermin, for there is more worth in all the world's vermin than there is in man. He would say we are so completely separated from God that There is no possibility for peace. It only happens when our very nature is transformed by repenting and accepting Jesus Christ. More recently, some folks are rejecting this doom and gloom version of Christianity. I was reading about the Enneagram this week. It's a popular tool to identify your personality type based on what motivates you. It helps reveal your coping mechanisms so you can be your best self. But nowhere is there a demand for repentance. There is simply the pursuit of a better way. Critics would say it's hopelessly lost, but those who use it as part of spiritual contemplation say they find a kind of peace that feels, well, it feels spiritual, like they are saved from themselves, from the war that rages within. When we look at the Gospel of Matthew where John the Baptist is preaching to the Israelite masses, that they need to repent because the kingdom of God is near. I wonder what he means by that. Was he saying we are worms? Did he mean we are like dead people that can do no good for themselves, so peace is impossible? Or is there some value to introspection? Can contemplation really bring peace? I think Matthew chapter 3 has some insights for us. In this passage, we meet John the Baptist, who is famous for his strange behavior. He lived in the desert. And in verse 4, we hear, Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. The point is, he lived simply. Instead of the rich, fancy clothes of the city folk, he wore a poor man's camel shirt. Instead of gourmet meals, he ate what you could scrounge up if you had no money. He is deliberately living and acting like the prophet Elijah. People from all over are going to him and confessing their sin, and then the religious leaders show up, and John lays into them, calling them a brood of vipers. I've shared this before. He is calling them baby viper snakes. These young snakes were known for killing and eating their mothers 
an offense considered absolutely vile at the time. So John the Baptist is using the hardest, crudest, most vile insult of his day against the religious leaders. He's saying, your religious leaders don't know how to find peace. They preach, but lead evil lives. In verse 8, he says, bear fruit worthy of repentance. For too long, Israel has leaned on this notion that because they are God's children, their lives don't have to change. They thought being part of the genetic lineage of Abraham was enough. But John the Baptist says how ridiculous this is. God could make children out of stones. I think he's saying there is nothing about our ancestors that can save us. And he sums things up by saying, I baptize with water for repentance, but the one who is coming will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now let me pause here for a moment to explain that. John the Baptist is saying he is calling for people's repentance, but the one who is coming, that's Jesus, he will baptize people in one of two ways. Either they will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, a good thing, or they will be baptized by fire, a bad thing. Sometimes you'll see churches have names like the Holy Spirit and Fire Church or the Fire Baptized Holiness Church. Those are really confusing names because it makes it sound like there is this extra good thing out there called baptism in fire. But that is definitely not what, is, what this passage means. There is baptism in water and there is baptism in the Holy Spirit. And though fire is sometimes used as a symbol of the Holy Spirit, the fire John the Baptist is talking about is definitely a bad thing. But we often forget that there is more to our Christian life than just baptism in water. The Jewish religious leaders at that time were largely concerned with ceremonial rules. They thought by giving people very particular specific instructions on how they should live their lives, they could prevent them from sinning against God. And if you don't sin, you don't burn. That's like this Martin Luther quote I came across this week. Whoever drinks beer, he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer. Now, I'm no expert, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't work that way. See, the rules and the ceremony, the pomp and circumstance around our religion does not matter. People sometimes fight over baptismal fonts or pools, pictures of saints or stained glass windows, pulpits or candles. They are nice things, but none of that brings real lasting peace to us. You can follow every rule people have ever come up with for religion, and still you will not find peace in it. Sometimes you find a kind of peace in not having to think too much about what you have to do or peace in not having to figure out things for yourself, but that's not the peace God longs to bring. Instead, peace comes through the kingdom God is building by way of the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is about reworking and reordering our lives so that what we long for and what we work toward 
is God's will here on earth. Now, getting that right is a hard thing to do. A few years ago, I traveled to Geneva in Switzerland and got a chance to explore that city's history. One of the things it is most famous for is being the city where the theologian John Calvin, who I mentioned earlier, ruled the city during the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. You can see a picture here of, of his church that I visited. Calvin ruled the city by what he believed were the rules of the kingdom of God. But listen to how he lived this out. Some called this time Calvin's reign of terror. When people disagreed with his theology, he burned them alive. One person called Calvin an ambitious and haughty hypocrite. And Calvin had him arrested, tortured, nailed to a stake, and then beheaded. In the five years where he was able to rule the city based on his theology, we would call this a theocracy, He executed 58 people, including pregnant women, and banished 76 more. He would explain these actions by saying, It is better to burn a few at the stake than for thousands to burn in hell. Some of the laws he enacted included mandatory attendance at Sunday morning services, which I don't totally object to, uh, (laughs) fining those who came late to church, Uh, People identified as witches were executed for afflicting Geneva with the plague. Uh, Dancing was prohibited. Children were mandated to be named after Old Testament characters. His version of the kingdom of God would be unrecognizable to us today. In fact, even then, a friend of Calvin's remarked that if Christ himself came to Geneva, he would be crucified and pointed out how ridiculous it would be to think of Christ ordering a man to be burned alive for advocating adult baptism. This friend understood that the law of the scriptures is superseded by the law of Christ, which is one of mercy, not of terror. When we think of living together in the kingdom of God, that kingdom has got to be one with love at its center. The kingdom of God is a place of peace and a place of love. And you can't force that on people like a tiger or like John Calvin did. It doesn't come through our heritage or the rules we follow. Instead, God's peace and love comes to us when we are committed to a relationship with God through the Holy Spirit. I continue to think through this this simple phrase. If it's not good news for everyone, it's not good news. And there's one person I think of that epitomizes this peaceful, loving good news for everyone, and that's Fred Rogers. Another movie came out about Mr. Rogers a few weeks ago. This one stars Tom Hanks, Uh, Fred Rogers went to seminary and was uh, ordained as a minister, but he wanted to minister to children, and what better way than through television? At the time, he thought TV was awful and wanted to provide children psychological resources. He worked closely with Margaret McFarland, a child psychologist, who helped make the show feel right, a show like Sesame Street is all about cognition and learning. Uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, though, helped children feel loved. It developed their morals and ethics. It taught them civility 
tolerance, sharing, and self-worth. When Tom Hanks was interviewed about playing the role of Fred Rogers, he said how he saw a clip of the show where Mr. Rogers talks with a little boy in a wheelchair. Mr. Rogers is so attentive and kind to this boy that is so easily and often ignored and marginalized by society. Tom Hanks said it made him cry his eyes out seeing that interaction. Even kids today still feel that sense of love. Just last week, an article came out in the Washington Post about what happens when 21st century kids watch old Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood episodes. It turns out, despite all the other options, from TV to video games, kids still want to watch. When the author of the article asked her children what they liked, the daughter said, isn't it obvious, Mom? He likes kids. Children can tell when grown-ups like them. And then the son added, he's not loud, he's not noisy. You don't have to worry about anything when you watch him. Amidst the noise of life, Mr. Rogers is a refuge of calm and kindness. Aren't those things you'd like to be too? That's what building the kingdom of God means. It means we are kind. It means we love people for being people, God's beloved creation. And no one can take that away from you. No tiger, no theologian, no king. You are God's beloved. And when we receive that truth, the Spirit moves in powerful and mysterious ways, changing us and the world around us. So what brings real peace? Repentance or introspection? I would dare say both are good because both can connect us with the Spirit of God. Peace, true peace, comes from the Holy Spirit as we know God's love and share that God new, good news with the whole world. So bear good fruit, the fruit that comes from repentance, and bear good fruit because you have taken the time to look inside See what needs to change in how you live and how you deal with others so you can be at peace. We don't just get into the peaceable kingdom. We become part of it as we model our lives on Christ and his love. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.